welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. We started looking at the life of Moses and it's probably, we talked about how it's a story that a lot of us are quite familiar with or at least we feel like we're familiar with. It's one that that gets a lot of publicity and and there's been several movies and and most of us feel like we know at least something about the story of Moses, don't we? Unfortunately, some of the things that we think we know about the story of Moses aren't actually uh, accurate. And so we kind of have to make sure that from time to time we actually delve back into the Word of God and make sure that the things that are in our head actually line up with what's in the Bible, don't we? I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes my brain works in strange ways. Anybody here? Anybody? Yeah, okay, thank you, it's not just me. But it kind of does things with information, doesn't it? We find that... I, I, I could absolutely, Kerry and I often have these discussions where I would absolutely swear black and blue that a certain thing happened a certain way and she will swear black and blue that it didn't happen that way, it happened a completely different way and it's like, well, and, and the truth is probably both of us are, are recollecting it slightly inaccurately. Uh, is, that, can I, is that gracious enough? <laughs> obviously, we, obviously we all know that I'm right, but you know... <laughs> But it's good to go back. And and even stories that we know, even stories that we've read a hundred times, when we go back and we revisit those, God can actually show us things that we've not seen before. He can reveal to us lessons that maybe weren't so relevant to us last time, but are, are absolutely relevant to us now and things that we need to see through the pages of even scriptures that we've read uh, over and over again a hundred times. And so we talked about how this, this story of Moses, as we began to look at his early life, uh, how, how Moses spent the first 40 years of his life being told and believing that he was a somebody. Spent the first 40 years of his life being raised up as, as royalty in one of the most powerful nations on the world. And it's no wonder when you grow up in that environment that you begin to think that, that you're a somebody. When you've got people telling you that all the time, uh, we look at our celebrity culture today, don't we? Uh, and we look at how they think they can just do whatever they want and treat people however they want uh, because they're somehow uh, better than everybody else. And, and what is it that, that makes that? Is, is it money? Is it, the, is it the culture? Is it the way that people kind of fawn over them? Or, you know, what, there's a whole lot of things that kind of shape that isn't there. But this is kind of, Moses grew up in this kind of environment. And although he kind of had this understanding of God's call on his life to rescue his people, he thought that he could do it in his own strength and in his own way and in his own authority because he was a somebody. And as we read that as he tried to take things into his hands, as he murdered an Egyptian who was mistreating Hebrews, that suddenly it all came crashing down. And suddenly things didn't go the way that he thought they were going to go and he ended up fleeing. Uh, you know what they say about falling? It's not the fall that kills you, it's the sudden stop at the bottom. <laughs> and, uh, and this is kind of exactly where we find Moses in this point where we kind of left off the story last time in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses was kind of in this place where he'd gone from being everything to being nothing 
And so let's pick up in, uh, and begin to, to look back at the story in Exodus 2. If you've got your Bibles, um, open them up and you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen here. But Exodus 2 verse 15 is where we're going to start. I think we read 15 the last time, but I just wanted to pick that up for a, a continuity. All right, is that okay? Okay, so if you've got Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible, if you're looking for it. Chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, And sure enough... Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, if you've watched Prince of Egypt, they had the whole dramatic thing where he kind of just suddenly ran off and, you know, he was dying of thirst in the desert until his hair was eaten by a camel. We don't quite see the same sort of picture here, do we? It doesn't, it doesn't have quite the same sort of wild kind of flee with nothing but the clothes on my back. I mean, it, you know, uh, there, there's kind of this sense of, you know, he, he left in a hurry, yeah, but he probably would have grabbed some cash on the, before, he, before he took off or, or something, you know. And so it's, it's quite a significant journey when you look at the map, you look, he passed through the entire Sinai Peninsula to get through to where we, kind of the rough area of where we believe is the land of Midian. But there's this, this kind of, uh, all the same, as, as much as he's sort of still there and he's kind of travelled, he's, he's had to flee from all of the land that, that kind of Egypt occupies and it's, it basically, it's like he's, he's kind of come to the end. He doesn't know where else to go. He doesn't know where else to turn. He sees a well and it's like, that's water, that's important in the desert. So he just kind of sits down. And it's like, what do I do now? And we see this, this man who in a matter of days has kind of stepped off the top of the pyramid as Pharaoh in training and come crashing down to this broken man out in the middle of nowhere, probably kind of depressed, doesn't know what he's going to do, he's, he's lost everything. This is a man, you kind of get this picture, this sense of a man who's, who's heavy-hearted, who's kind of bruised and battered soul, who's hit rock bottom, who's lost everything. Everything he thought he had has been stripped away. His family, his position, his power, his, his wealth, his, his authority, his military kind of training and authority and it's like everything's just gone now he's just a a bloke in the middle of nowhere but we kind of know don't we that happily ever after is only really for for fairy tales and movies i know it's shocking so many of us are looking, you know, and, and spend and chase after these kind of happily ever afters that are they're an absolute work of fiction and they don't kind of really exist in real life, do we? And as Christians, if we expect our... Uh, I'm sorry, Katie, uh, just close your ears, block your ears for a minute. I'm sure your Prince Charming is coming. <laughs> but if we expect our Christian life to be like a, a Disney movie, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to become disillusioned. You know, I heard a, a guy at a chaplaincy conference once and he was talking about disillusionment. You can only become disillusioned if you are operating under an illusion to begin with. And often we have these illusions about what our life's going to be like with Jesus. And, when, when we, and they're, they're based on, on fantasy, they're based on fiction, they're based on kind of this, this rosy picture that somehow everything's going to be wonderful. And obviously, you know, we, we don't get that from the Bible. 
I don't think there's too many of us that would want to emulate or, 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 or imitate the, the lives of the disciples and how they ended up. Not many of us are searching after that kind of happy ending in our lives, are we? But when we have that, that, that illusion that everything, you know, just becoming a Christian and Jesus is going to make everything just go smoothly and well and everything's going to be fantastic and lovely and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and we'll just, you know, everything we turn to will just have success now. I don't want to paint too bleak a picture, but part of the, I guess in in my experience and maybe your experience kind of measures up as well, is that for most people I know who are following Jesus, there are setbacks, there are struggles, there are failures, there is pain, there is suffering as part of the life of following Jesus. Now, often in that, the people that, that I've seen who are following Jesus, they, they hold on to joy and they radiate peace even in the midst of those trials and those sufferings because they're holding on to Jesus. I don't want to kind of give you a picture, picture of a Christian life just being miserable and, and, and down at the mouth and everything's just horrible because it's not. You know, we have amazing joy and peace but, uh, in Christ, but if we're looking for circumstances to be rosy we will be disappointed. It wasn't that way for Jesus. It wasn't that way for the disciples. It wasn't that way for many in the early church. Now, God is certainly working in the lives of our children and often this very pain and the very struggles and the failures that we experience in our life are actually an important part of God's process for refining and maturing and growing us into the people that he wants us to be, aren't they? The process and the things that we go through are every bit as important to God as, as the product. The psalmist in, in Psalm 119, there's some, some really interesting verses here that talk about some of these things, about experiencing failure. In Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, I used to wander off. Until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. And he's talking about this, you know, he's made mistakes, he's kind of gone off course, he's wandered away from the things of God. And he says, and then God disciplined me and brought me back. We don't know exactly what form that discipline took, but we get a sense as we read that psalm and that passage in the psalm that it was a, a, a sense, a, a discipline that involves some affliction and some suffering and some pain. But he says, this, this failure promoted in me an obedient life. This failure helped me to see the importance of actually obeying God. And now I'm even more determined and even more diligent about obeying God's laws and God's ways and, and God's commands than I was before because I suffered through some stuff when I didn't. When I disobey God and everything kind of falls apart, doesn't that kind of help us to see some of the value in, in obeying God? Experiencing failure also helps to promote or prompt in us a teachable spirit. Uh, a couple of verses later in that same passage, it says, my suffering was good for me. How many of us have said that when we're in the middle of suffering? <laughs> it's a bit easier to say after it's finished, isn't it? Yeah, when we see the kind of the outcome and the fruit and the things that we've learned along the way. And I think that's a little bit of where the psalmist is kind of writing from this position. Obviously, he's writing past tense. So he says, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. 
your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Can you imagine just for a second what a person would be like who had never failed at anything or at least had never been aware of failing at anything, what that person would be like? Would, what kind of person would a child grow up to be if they were always told that they were right about everything and never wrong? You would think that they would probably be spoiled, they would probably be fairly entitled, they would, be pretty, they would grow up to be pretty arrogant, thinking that they were always right about everything, wouldn't they? It's really important that as we grow up, that there are times where we fail. Failure is important because then we learn what doesn't work, what does work, and we learn that we don't know everything. We learn that we don't have all the answers because when we feel like we've got all the answers and we know everything, then we don't need to listen to anybody else. We are not teachable. Nobody can teach us anything because we feel like we know it all already. Some of you might have met some people like that, <laughs> maybe to some degree or another. Maybe you, some of you have had some children who thought they knew everything. <laughs> and it was impossible to try to explain or teach them or, or, or do anything for them because they knew it all. I, my dad used to say that um, he went through a period of his life, I think he, he used to say it was kind of in his late teens when you know, his parents didn't know anything and they got suddenly a lot smarter as he got older. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that they got smarter, but he realised that, that, um, that they knew more than what he thought that they did. So, so failure, and, and we see a little bit of this as Moses kind of experiences this great crash, this what, what we see, what looks like a, a terrible, unrecoverable failure and in his plan to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. We might be tempted if we didn't know what we know about the processes that God used and if we didn't know what we know about this story, we might be tempted to give up on Moses at this point. I'm pretty sure that there would have been times around about here in the story that Moses probably would have thought about giving up on himself or would have felt like he'd given up on himself at least. How can, how, you know, how can God possibly redeem this situation? When I had everything going for me, it didn't work and now I've got nothing going for me. But thankfully God is gracious and he isn't done with Moses just yet, is he? But this process of God shaping Moses' life begins to bring about some quite significant changes in Moses and in his attitude towards what he's uh, called to be and to do. And I want to just kind of look at a couple of these key um, changes that we begin to see evidenced in Moses' life as we read this passage of Scripture. First one is that he developed a servant's attitude. The, the, the humbling of Moses and the failure that he went through, it taught him that he didn't know everything. It taught him that he didn't have all those answers, doesn't it? Let's look at this next verse in, in go back to Exodus 2 here and have a look at verse 16. So here he is, he's, he's fled from Egypt, he's come, he's sat down, he's lost everything, he's sat down next to a well and, and now we read in verse 16, it says, The priest of Midian had seven daughters, lucky man, who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flock. Hard-working daughters. 
Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> whoa, whoa. All right. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. Now, it's really interesting at this point, isn't it, that Moses, uh, who God's called to be a deliverer and a rescuer of the, the downtrodden and the oppressed and, uh, and those who don't have strength of their own, kind of, we, we read this. Of course, we know that in Moses' first attempt, you know, this big grand delivering a nation, he failed. But God shows grace towards Moses. And even in the midst of Moses' failure, as his, uh, his failure is kind of weighing on him, God reminds Moses that it doesn't change who he is or what he's called to be. He's been created to be a man who stands up for those who are oppressed, for those who are weak, for those who are in need of help. He's not only called to be a deliverer, but he's created to be one. He's gifted to be one. God has formed and fashioned his very heart to function with that, that heartbeat of, of helping people. And it's as though God says to Moses here, you want to be a deliverer? Okay, here are seven uh, young women in Midian who need a champion right now. Will you start here? Now, this is not the picture that Moses had of what it would look like for him to be a deliverer, was it? I'm sure that Moses had grand pictures of, you know, rallying the people of Israel and leading a rebellion as a warrior against Egypt and marching out into the, the desert with, you know, singing victory songs. And, you know, we know that came a little bit later but in, in God's time, but it kind of looked like it was gone. That picture was gone. But being a deliverer for God isn't about being grand or important. It isn't about having everybody looking up to you and following you. It's about having a heart to serve. And Moses begins to see and this, this whole experience begins to change Moses' attitude and now here he is, he's willing to, to stand up and to serve these complete strangers, this small insignificant group that will probably, you know, you know, he doesn't know what capacity they have to he's not thinking about being a grand deliverer he's just doing what God has put in his heart and what's right in front of him in that moment it's very much like being a, a leader in Jesus church it's not about um, being looked up to or being important or having a grand stage or a, you know a big platform and lots of people listening to you and thinking you're important it's about serving it's about caring for people and now we see Moses is willing to do the little things, isn't he? He's willing to do the small things. A servant doesn't just get to do the fun stuff. A servant has to do whatever needs to be done. Have you noticed that? You know all about that, don't you, Katie? When you clean the church, you don't just get to do the nice jobs, you've got to clean the toilets too. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what servants do, isn't it? Servants do whatever is in front of them that needs to be done. Uh, Matthew Henry, uh, some of you might have heard of Matthew Henry, he wrote a series of Bible commentaries uh, and he, when he was writing about this particular incident in Exodus, he wrote this, I'll put it up here on the screen so you can read it, it says, wherever the providence of God casts us, 
we should desire and endeavour to be useful. And when we cannot do the good we would, we must be ready to do the good we can. When we cannot do the grand things that we would like to be able to do, what does he say? He says, just do the good that you can. Until we have that servant heart like Moses, we don't necessarily want to do the little things. We have these big dreams. We don't necessarily know how to make those big dreams a reality. Sometimes maybe we've tried and failed or you know, whatever the case might be. Maybe we just didn't know where to start and so we didn't. And so we do nothing. But what is the good you can do? What is the, the, the good that God has put in front of you? Now maybe there, there's something that stirs in your heart that says you want to be a, a missionary. Fantastic. Be a missionary in your home right now. Start talking to your neighbours or uh, a friend or someone in your social group you know, at, uh, or, or in your workplace. Be a missionary with one person right here where you are now. You don't have to go off to Africa or you know, some remote foreign place to be a missionary. You can be a missionary wherever you are. You want to be a pastor. You know, that, is, that, is that calling of God on your life? Is that, that might seem unattainable or, or very far away, but what is the good that you can do right now that, that lines up with that call or, or fits with that call on your life? Start praying for somebody. Start volunteering somewhere. Start looking for ways to serve uh, in the church. Start looking for ways to care about people, to meet needs. So Moses was... He, he, he developed that heart of a servant. Number two, we see that he was willing to be obscure. Moses was willing to be a, a nobody in the middle of nowhere, if that's where God took him. Let's read on. It says, When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, Why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. And Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Moses had gone from someone who was focused on how do you build an empire to someone who was just a nobody in the middle of nowhere. And he wasn't worried. And we, we see, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not like, no, 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 I can't stop here and settle with a, an ordinary family. I'm, a, I'm royalty. I'm destined for great things. You know, we don't kind of see that anymore in his life, do we? He wasn't concerned any longer about building an empire or, or being waited on by servants, he just kind of settles into this unknown family in a foreign land. Are you willing to be a nobody? Are you willing to just be someone who is unnoticed, who serves quietly and unobtrusively, doesn't get recognition, 
but works quietly at whatever God has called you to do. A servant mindset teaches us that being part of the body of Christ isn't all about recognition and being in the spotlight and feeling important. God doesn't love you any less, but some of us in the body of Christ are called to be toes. (laughs) Some of us are called to be, uh, you know, kidneys. When was the last time you thought about your kidneys? When was the last time you thought about your gallbladder? Some of us are gallbladders in the body of Christ. We're, We're not seen, we're not up front. We're not, we're not the eyes or the, the hands or, you know, the, the hair making us all look stylish till it disappears one day. <laughs> but that doesn't make us any less important, does it? Being unseen, that we know that there are parts of our body that, that we might not think about until they stop working. And then suddenly we think about them a lot, don't we? You know, if your kidneys start shutting down, you do something about that very quickly. You're very conscious of what you need to do. When you walk into a suitcase in the middle of the night and you bash your toes, you suddenly think about that toe quite a lot. <laughs> there are many parts of our body that, that just function quietly in the background and and some of us are called to be exactly that to function quietly not to draw attention or or, or kind of be in the spotlight now absolutely there are some of us you know that our, our place is is in the in the limelight if you like not necessarily because we choose it but because that's what God has gifted us and called us to do but we're not all what, what are you prepared? Is, is, are you only going to be satisfied? Are you only going to be happy if you have a place where you get recognized and appreciated and thanked and, and you get glory? Or will you be happy and content if God calls you to a quiet place? Will you continue to work and serve faithfully without the spotlight? Moses was quite prepared to live in obscurity because he had developed that servant heart. Thirdly, and finally, he learned to rest and rely on God. He learned to trust. That was his big problem, wasn't it, in the beginning? It's like he saw the suffering of his people and he wasn't content to wait until God dealt with it. He's like, I've got to do this. I've got to fix this. I've got to sort this out. I've got to do it. And that's where he got into trouble, wasn't it? This process that God had taken him through, this failure and this this disaster, this crashing down to earth that Moses went through and experienced taught him to trust and rely on God and on God's timing, doing things God's way and in God's time. This last little bit of Exodus chapter 2, it says, Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of their slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Now it's very likely that Moses would have heard stories and news coming out of Egypt. 
They were a major power in the world. It might not have been quite as quick as we get information today, but there would have been travellers and caravans and merchants that travelled around the country and they would bring news and, and stories about things that were happening in different parts of the world. And Moses would have undoubtedly at least heard some of the stories and, and what was happening to his people in Egypt. But unlike before, he had learned to rest and trust God to work things out. I'm sure that every time he heard news about Israel being in slavery, that he would have, that it would have hit him, that he would have grieved, most likely probably would have, would have wept over the situation that those people were in. But he had learned to trust God. He had learned his lesson about trying to take it on by himself. He wasn't going to go, you know, trying to sneak back into Egypt as an assassin and take out Pharaoh or, you know, <laughs> raise up some sort of secret rebellion or anything. He's like, God, you see the situation, you know all about it. And he trusted that when God was ready, that he would work. For us too, sometimes there are times and there are situations and, and things that are happening in our world that are so wrong and so evil that they break our heart. And we just so desperately want to be able to just right every wrong and heal all the hurts and rescue all the kids and all the people that are being abused and and broken and hurt and treated badly. Sometimes there's nothing we can do but trust God to work in that person's life. Trust God to work in our city, to trust God to work in our world. He sees, He knows far better than we ever could the evil in our world, the things that are broken, the things that need to change. And when he's ready, he will work. But if we try to take that on in our own strength, if we try to, to make things happen ahead of God's time, not only does it, is it not successful, but we, we end up hurting ourselves in the process. Just like Moses... I'm pretty confident in saying that we've all had moments of failure in our life. I'd say that with, uh, you know, about 100% certainty. <laughs> I know there have been times when, when I've messed up, when I've failed at something, when I've tried to do something in my own strength and it wasn't God's time and God's way and made a mess of everything. We've all had moments of doing that, I think. But God's grace is there for me and, and God's grace is there for you. He knows your weaknesses and shortcomings. He doesn't expect you to be, you know, this amazing, perfect human being that never gets it wrong or never makes mistakes. The Word of God says He knows we are but dust. You know, He knows us intimately. He knows what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. He knows what we're gifted to do and what we're not gifted to do. He has a plan for you. And he wants to develop in you that servant heart. Maybe you're in a place right now where things are going great. That's, that's fantastic. Maybe you're in a place where, you know, things haven't been going so great. 
where you're aware of areas of your life, whether it's uh, the recent past or further back, where, where you've failed and you've fallen down and you, you've messed up and you've made mistakes. Maybe that still hangs over you. And I want to encourage you this morning that those things don't have to define who we are. Those things are not the end of your story. If you're still here, your story isn't yet complete. And like Moses, uh, a failure in a part of the story, a, a crashing down to earth in some, you know, a plan not, not working out or going disastrously wrong is not the end of your story. But God wants the process of working through that, as you work through that, as you allow Him to teach you and show you, to, to, to work in you, to develop that attitude of a servant. That He will bring good in this part of your life. Are you willing to start small? Are you willing to be obscure? Are you willing to be faithful in little things and trust God for the rest? As we submit to his process, as we learn to trust him and trust his process and to allow him to mature us and grow us and to learn from those things that that happen in our life, then our lives can bring glory to the king. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this story that's in your word this this story of this the life of Moses this man who who desperately wanted to to be used by you desperately wanted to to be what you'd called him to be God I know that for many of us here this morning we have that same desire to be everything that you've called us to be to be the men and the women uh, that you have called us to be but Lord we know that as human beings and as flawed people, sometimes we, we get it wrong. Sometimes we rush ahead. Sometimes we're, we're, we're disobedient. We don't follow. Sometimes we, we misunderstand or you know, we, we, we get the timing wrong and we, we're not following and we make a mess. Father, we thank you that like Moses, you extend your grace to us in those moments. That you show grace to us and you, you pick us up and you lift us and you remind us of who we are and of who we've called to be. And that our mistakes don't define us because we've been defined by the King of Kings. Our identity is found in Christ. And Father, we pray that, that as, we, as we look and evaluate the areas where we've made mistakes and we've failed at things in our life, Lord, that we would see the things that you're, you're wanting to do. Lord, that it would, it would cause us to be people who are teachable and humble and ready to learn, ready to grow and ready to follow you in the areas that you've called us. Lord, I pray for each one of us that are here this morning that, that you've put dreams and, and in our heart, that there are things that... Um, maybe seem almost impossible or, or, or seem like they're far away. And it's tempting to give up on those dreams, to feel like they could never become a reality because, you know, maybe we tried and, and failed, maybe we messed up, maybe it just, we just don't feel like we have 
any authority or, or any resources or any of the things that we think we would need to be able to accomplish that goal. And just like Moses who, you know, he, he thought he had it all and, and it didn't work. And he had to learn that it was only when everything that he thought he needed was stripped away that he could actually be used in the hand of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to learn how to be true to who you've called us to be, even in the little things, even in the small things that maybe where it's not your time yet for that 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 bigger dream, that bigger goal that you've put in our heart, deposited in us. But God, that we can we can serve in the things, the areas that are in front of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be speaking to us, that you would be showing us the, the ways that you have for us to be servants in the place that you've called us, in this place that you've called us to be in, and this time that we are now. Father, help us to be faithful, to follow you and to have that heart of a servant. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at bethelcrc.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.